0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Uh, Thanks to those of you that made it out and to those of you that have tuned in. I mean, we went online last week um, right at the end, and uh, by... Tuesday, there were a, uh, a lot of views, and so I know a lot of you are tuning in. If not right this minute, um, we're in different habits of tuning in at different times uh, throughout the week. Just a few things before I get started uh, coming up: we have a next Sunday, we're going to have a membership class, and so we're going to do that right after service. Uh, we're going to um, bring in lunch. I'll contact the people this week about lunch and. Uh, We're going to do this in in a two-hour time frame and just talk about who we are as a church, where we came from, where we're headed, and what it means to jump on board with that. And so if you're new to Oak City Church, we would love for you uh, to sign up for this and to join in and to to figure out why membership means so much to us and what it what it means to us as a church. So please uh, go to the website and register uh, for that, or just email me, jeff at com and let me know uh, that you are interested in coming. There's a couple other things coming up, a women's prayer meeting on January 19th. January 26th, we have another Adopt-A-Block. Handful of us were out there yesterday at Adopt-A-Block. Adopt-A-Block is just a great opportunity to jump on board with what the Raleigh Dream Center is doing and um, a chance to to bless your city with that. I'll Let me mention a few other things. It's the beginning of the year. Um, we sent some things out late last year about... A um, a 31 Days of Prayer, and so we've been doing that. There are about 45 people on that text thread that get a, a text every night about what to pray for the next day. Thank you for doing that. If you want to do that, if you still want to do that, let us know, and we'll put you on that text thread. We'll probably find some way to keep that going, not every day, but um, as we move forward uh, beyond that. But I appreciate your prayers on behalf of Oak City Church and our city and our community. Also, we started a Bible reading program at, through UVersion and um, a, a, num- a bunch of people participated in that. It is just a great opportunity to have some accountability to read scripture together with folks and then people commenting on, on it um, day by day. And so if you haven't been a part of that, uh, check that out. It's a great opportunity for you. Um, all right. I am we're gonna go back into our series in First Peter. We cut that off to move into an advent series. We're gonna finish out in First Peter. I um uh I had a message that I wanted to do at the beginning of the year um in out of Luke 5. Before I get into that though, um let me ask a few questions. You got friends? How many of you have friends? This is good. This is good. All of you should have friends. Richard, raise your hand. I know you have friends. All right, I'm your friend. Your friends got problems? You raise your hand because I'm your friend and I got problems, Richard. So, how many of your friends have problems that you wish you could fix but you just can't fix? Some hands went up fast there. Uh, I won't tell you who's, whose hands went up because they might be your friend. Uh, yeah, there's a, there are some problems that our friends have that are fixable, you know? And it, it's like you, you rejoice when you have problems that you can fix. <laughs> um, but a lot of problems... You just can't fix, and you can't—or, or, like, there are certain problems you can fix. There are certain problems you can fix, but they don't want to get fixed. There are certain problems that they don't know that they have that you would love to fix, but, like, you can't find a way for them to realize that. And the further you go in friendships, maybe the more that happens to be the case. Um, and then there are problems that everybody wants fixed, but you can't quite fix. I had a, the other day, um, this wasn't a friend, but I would have been a friend. Uh, some We were, had staff meeting on Tuesday and we have it in that room that's in the back from where we are, but with all the windows. Um, and, and there's a door there. And so every, almost every day someone comes up to that door because they're looking to go next door to NC Works and they just get confused. We actually put a sign on the door that says this is not that door, but they still come up and knock on the door and that's cool. So usually that's a really quick conversation. This guy came up and He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for something different, and we weren't it. And then after we're at the end of staff meeting, I could tell he was really frustrated (laughs) uh, because he was looking for some Oak City. I think Oak City serves, and and you could tell he'd been on the street for a few days um, because he was at a shelter maybe and felt like he'd been done wrong, and he was hard to understand. So I was just like, guys, I'm done with staff meeting, and went out and talked to the guy because I perceived that what he really needed in that moment was somebody to listen to him and that was the best i could do and his it's like emblematic of someone with a lot of problems that have probably taken a lot of, a long time to get into those problems and to untie those problems is an extremely difficult thing and i i got done with him and he ended up going next door and i said well come on back we could talk some more and he didn't but like just of a situation where you want to help somebody with their problems but you just don't know you just you just feel kind of helpless in what you can do with them So this story um, speaks into that. I'm going to ask you guys to stand as I read this story. If you're new to Oak City Church, we started doing this about a year ago. I love the fact that we do this. I might love it most because I'm the one that speaks the most words on a Sunday morning. And this is a way of declaring that my words matter a whole lot less than these words right here. So these are the words that matter the most um, that God has given us. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed. And go home. And immediately the man rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, I'm going to talk out of this um, passage about the nature of true friendship, the nature of our real problem and the power of of the God who loves us. The the passage starts on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. This is set in the early time of Jesus' ministry. He is teaching, and he's in a city. Another another version of passage that talks about this story tells us he's in Capernaum, and Capernaum is in the northern part of Israel. Israel is about the size of New Jersey, and, um, and so this is like saying he's up there somewhere near Newark, but in a small town, and people are coming from the southern part. They're coming from all over. Galilee is like a county, you know, it's like a region in the northern part, and Judea is the same in the southern part, and Jerusalem is the big city. Um, if you compared it to here, it'd be like saying that the, the, those of us from the big city of Raleigh went up to hear Jesus teach in Warrington, and half of you don't know where Warrenton is. And that's the point. Like, he's up in the sticks teaching, but everybody's going to see him because they've started to hear about his ministry, and they want to know more about who he is. So these guys show up, and this is talking about what real friends do. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring the man in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles, Into the midst before Jesus. Behold is a way for Luke to say, You're not going to believe what happened next. Like, this was nuts. Like, that's how this story starts. And these guys are bringing their friend to Jesus, and he's paralyzed. He truly has a problem that they cannot fix. And so they can't do anything about it. And they think, Well, maybe this Jesus guy. Uh, Could help us. This might be like the Bible version of a GoFundMe page. You know, like that's what we do when we know we can't help somebody with a problem that's a financial problem, is people set up a GoFundMe page. And that's kind of a great thing. Uh, I saw one over the holidays that was heartbreaking. it was an 11-year-old boy whose mom had died of cancer two years ago, and his dad just passed away from colon cancer, and his dad happened to be a sports writer in the Chicago area. They raised a million dollars for this kid on GoFundMe. And it's fantastic, you know And so that's the spirit of this. These guys just want to help um, their buddy. But they get there, and as I get into the scene, I think they're late, they're late. Uh, like this is the type of thing where Jesus is teaching you want to get there early and get a good seat, but what by the time they get there and he's probably in a small house teaching, it's filled up, and they can't get to him. Maybe um, you know, it's one of those situations where I think that somebody took a little bit too long to get ready. like there's four of them carrying the guy, and someone was late, and so now I envision them being frustrated. maybe the way you are coming to church on a Sunday morning where one of the guys is like, "I told you we needed to leave earlier. Um, and they probably get a sense of like, hey, our buddy's paralyzed, and all these people are in the way. Like, we got a bigger problem than you guys got. This isn't, uh, this isn't fair. And I'd ask you to think about, if that's you in that situation, bringing your friend to Jesus, and it's all filled up, uh, what, how persistent would you be? Like, what do you think you would do? Because I find myself thinking that most of the time, I'm probably not as persistent as these guys. Like, most of the time, I'm probably thinking, well, maybe we can catch Jesus the next time he teaches. Or maybe if we just wait until he's done, um, then on his way out, we can catch Jesus and talk to him about our friend, you know? Uh, But one of them is like, that's not going to work, and we got to do something, and i got an idea. You have people in your life that are like that? Um, The person that might be most like that for me is Nate. So Nate's over here, and and this is who I think of. So a couple years ago, um, we had this baptismal that we have set up from time to time. We share with another church, and, and we needed to figure out how to heat the water up so it wasn't freezing cold. I'm like, who's going to know how to do this? I'm like, Nate knows how to fix everything. So I call him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know. Just, ah. He's like, let me call you back. Two minutes later, he calls me back. He's like, I used to go help my Uncle Joe in Wyoming out with the sheep. This is how all Nate stories start, you know? And... He's like, in the winter, when the when the like watering hole would freeze over, we'd throw this thing in there. And it's the thing that's in a hot water heater that, like, it's the metal thing that heats up and the water runs over it. One word's called a what? Element. element. Thanks. <laughs> All week long, I've been trying to figure out what that's called, knowing that we could play charades when I got here and you guys would figure it out for me. It's a heating element. And so Nate comes over, screws two boards together, drills a hole in the middle of it, and that's how we heat up the whatever. That's this guy right here that's like... I got it. We'll go through the roof. Like, that's what we'll do um, with our buddy. I surely would not have dug a hole in somebody's roof to get the guy through there. You know, like, I probably would have thought all these other people are here first. We should be polite. You know, like, we shouldn't bug Jesus. He's preaching. If we bug him, he's not going to give us what we're asking for. And then we're going to have to fix this dude's roof after we get done with it. Would you want someone to dig a hole in your roof? Like, do unto others. He, Jesus, just, we just, he just said that. Do unto others as you have people do um, to you. This is a super familiar story. But I want us to be impressed with what these guys do um, to get their buddy in front of Jesus. Uh, As I was thinking about this, I thought, I can get there. Um, There are times when I do get there. A couple months ago um, in the fall, my mom was in the hospital for, she was in a hospital and rehab facility for about two months. She'd had a minor car accident that um, involved uh, uh, fractured ankle and then surgery, and things just kind of s- snowballed. Well, the first week she's in the hospital, uh, she didn't, she wasn't doing too well, like physically, but cognitively, she was having a hard time getting adjusted being in the hospital. And so, like after a few days in there, she called me one day, and she's like, "Jeff, I don't know where I am right now. Like I'm in this bed, and I look out the door, and I see a number on the other door, and this is the number." I'm like, "Man, she doesn't know she's in the hospital," and like. I just take some time to get adjusted and other things were going on by that sunday um, bobby joe my wife is a nurse she had to take somebody to the hospital she ran up to see my mom and she called me before church and said hey uh, i think your mom might have had a stroke like she can't talk they have her in restraints her face might be you know drooping what what would happen when you have a stroke and um and honestly i came here and preached which in hindsight probably wasn't the best idea and as soon as church was over i went over there and she still wasn't speaking, and she was still in full restraints because she just wanted to get out of bed. And she could get like one word out if you tried really hard. And the doctor came by. So the doctor um, that, in the I don't know much about hospitals, but the hospitalist is like the general doctor that probably has 50 patients he checks on every day, but knows this much about every patient. you know. And I'd seen this guy, this was the fourth or fifth day in a row. And the day before, I joked with him like, they ever let you go home? You know, just trying to Be nice and establish some rapport with them. Well, that morning, I ended up saying pretty quickly, listen, man, I'm rapidly losing confidence that anybody in this hospital has any idea what they're doing when it comes to my mother. Like I was ticked and I was in no uncertain terms and after a few minutes because he deals with this all day long every day he's like you seem unsatisfied with the care that your mother that's exactly how he said it and I looked at my mom and I looked at him and I looked at my mom I'm like would you be satisfied right now like are you kidding me or is this a real conversation that we're having like I just lost it on this guy and so he left and I thought, well, that stinks. I'm trying to, like, it's Sunday, so I can't go down to the administration room of the hospital and just blast somebody. Um, but I walked out a few minutes later, and he's at, the, he's at the nurse's station. He's on the computer, and he says, hey, I've been looking at your mom's chart and um, on Friday because she had some hearing loss. And ENT had come in and prescribed prednisone for her hearing loss. Anybody have a crazy prednisone story? okay these are like ambient stories if you have, do everybody have a crazy ambient story uh and i didn't know anything about prednisone but apparently it reacts with different things and so he said i'm going to take her off of that and we'll see and within 12 hours she was a whole lot better within 40 48 hours she was herself and it's hard to believe now that she was ever in that um condition but like i got to a place of desperation where I was my mom's advocate, I love my mom, I had to do something for my mom, and so I kind of lost it. That's where these guys are. And I think that's probably where we're supposed to be a lot more than we think we're supposed to be there. Our mission as a church is helping people come to know and follow Jesus. Uh, Our job is to bring people, and this language is used a couple times in this passage, they wanted to bring their friend before Jesus, It's specific language because Jesus was the one that could fix their friend's problem. Are we desperate like these guys are desperate? If these guys are a 10 on the desperation scale, when it comes to the people that God's put in your life, where are you on that scale in terms of being desperate? Do we care about our friends the way these guys cared about their friends? And are we confident in Jesus' ability to help as these guys are confident in Jesus' ability to help? And that is a This is a convicting passage for me, and I hope it is for you. So that's friendship, the true nature of our problem Jesus lays out next. So when he saw their faith, Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. I'm going to be honest. I don't think this was the answer that they were looking for when they lowered him in front of Jesus, right? He's teaching some important religious leaders um, and so I envision this scene, again, where Jesus is preaching, he's in a house, There are some religious leaders there, and all of a sudden they hear some footsteps up on the roof, and Nate shouting, hey, yeah, give me that shovel! You know, like, the roof isn't that thick, they can hear what's going on up there. Now, there are, there's different, like, accounts of what a house would be like back in those days, and so some people say there were tiles that you could just lift off, I'm dubious of that, I think, um, just based on my incredibly unlimited knowledge of of first century architecture and building processes, you know. But I just picture the scene where all of a sudden they hear some pounding, and dirt starts to fall, and Jesus is like, I guess we're going to have to take a break here. It's almost like preaching on Christmas Eve when there's a million kids in here. And I know I got eight minutes before a bomb goes off, and it's just over, you know. And Jesus just stops, and all of a sudden there's a hole in the roof, and these guys are trying to lower their paralyzed friend. In down to Jesus. There's some engineering involved with that. I don't know how they did that without dropping him and making his whole problem worse, you know. And then they get him before Jesus, and Nate puts his head in through the roof and says, hey, uh, this is our buddy Sam. You fix his legs? You know, like, that's just how I see this scene going. And Jesus is like, sure, Sam, your sins are forgiven. I just think they would have been confused at that point, you know, like, all right, um, that's great, Uh, but his legs, (laughs) you know, and we often think our biggest problems are something different than what Jesus thinks our biggest problems are. We often think our biggest problems lie here when Jesus thinks our biggest problems are over here. I mean, to be clear, God cares about all your problems, but if he had to rank order them, forgiving your sins and reconciling your relationship with God would be your first order problem, and all your other problems rank after that. They bring him in because he's paralyzed. They don't bring him in because he's feeling a little guilty, you know? And so I think they think this is his first order problem, is his paralysis. Uh, what, What do you think... What do you feel like your biggest problems are? Um, If you have to rank order your problems, what is it that keeps you up at night? Um, When you pray for your friends who have problems, what what do you pray for them? What moves you to the type of urgency that these guys are moved to? And this... Part of my message may be geared more towards um, those of you that are new to Jesus and haven't really surrendered your life to Christ and accepted that what he did on the cross for you and by rising from the dead is absolutely necessary, critical, central to your relationship uh, with him. Because your biggest problem is uh, your sin, your biggest problem is that you spend your life trying to, to be God instead of letting God be God in your life. You go into the beginnings of the Bible and, and it's the way he sets up and its simplicity and yet depth is beautiful. And Adam and Eve are in a garden and God says, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a way of saying like, I'm going to meet with you. We're going to have a relationship. And so you can depend on me to give you the information that you need as you need it. And we'll do that every single day. And they decide, no, I think we can do this on our own. And uh, the serpent tricks them into believing that God doesn't really love them. He loves himself and that they'd be better off without him if they just ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we live out that. We're tempted by those lies every single day. And because they do that, things quickly go to hell in a handbasket on the earth. And we're still living out That sense of independence from God, which is our fundamental problem. Often it's the subsequent problems that bring us to Jesus. It's the felt needs. It's the relationship problems, the financial problems, the emotional problems. We start to realize that our plan, either our individual plan or collectively how we've screwed things up together, isn't working out so well. And we can get metaphorically paralyzed in lots of ways with problems we can't solve. Um, But those problems at some level, are the result of our alienation from God, from not trusting that he loves us, that he made us, that he's smarter than us, and he has a plan for us that's better than our plan. And the consequences of our rebellion have affected us. They've affected everyone around us. They've affected the God who made us. And a reconciliation in that relationship with God, a restoration, um, a putting him in the place where we trust him completely for the forgiveness of our sins but also for the way that we live our lives is is what we need more than anything else that's the core issue that needs to be resolved that he's the God who made you that your sins are real that they're really the result of you trying to be God instead of surrendering to him and and you can't even help that but you're responsible for it which is where people get hung up with this how can i be held responsible for things that i couldn't help but it's the the bible describes that as the nature of sin and while it make make you feel good to take yourself off the hook by saying i couldn't help it so i can't be held responsible that doesn't change the fact that we're all like wallowing in the consequences of our sin and everybody else's sin and we need help because we can't fix those problems ourselves and if the last few years have taught us anything it's that we're incapable of fixing the problems Ourself, and we need him. We need him. And so your sins are forgiven. Solve this man's biggest problem. That is the greatest news that Jesus could give this guy. And Jesus is going to work on the deeper issues, but he starts with the biggest problem. So often people get in a crisis. Um, they seek God's help. Once the external issue is resolved, they just go on trusting their own judgment and forget about god and we all do that to some extent um i've been been following jesus for 35 years when things get bad i pray more like we all lean on him more in those ways but how many how many times have we seen people with you know with a crisis in their life show up at church for a few weeks or a few months and that crisis gets resolved and then they just go on living their lives as if it never happened And that doesn't fix your problem. (laughs) You know, like your core problem is your relationship with God that can only be restored through the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The true nature of this guy's problem is not that he's paralyzed and needs to go for a walk. It's that he's spiritually dead and needs to be raised to new life. And that's your problem too. Um, And so Jesus teaches us about that. It's part of why he tells this story, and then we see his power to heal. It says the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. And so the religious leaders are like, Hold on there, like that's a big claim. And they're right to say that. Um, it is a big claim. Uh, if i say to you you know what your sins are forgiven because of the work of jesus on the cross for you and because by rising from the dead he showed thee as the power over sin and death that's one thing if i say to you your sins are forgiven because i say so like you're gone right rightfully gone and that's the claim that jesus uh is making and the religious leaders rightfully call that out. If he's not God, it's blasphemy. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about the Gospels, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written earlier, and John was written later, and so John is the only one that really only talks about the divinity of Jesus. That's just totally not true, and this is one example of it. Um, the biggest example of it being that they, they executed Jesus. They didn't kill him for jaywalking. They killed him for blasphemy um, because he claimed to be God, and so he engages that and says, all right, I get it, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk, and, um, and it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, because you can't, it's not verifiable, you know, but rise and walk is verifiable. Now, I'm not going to get into how these two things are tied together, or whether they're tied together, because in their culture, that meant something different than it does in our culture, and Jesus, you know, very explicitly in certain cases of physical ailment says this has nothing to do with anybody's sin. And I just don't think it's the point of the story. If you want to talk about that later, I'd be happy to sit down and talk about what that means. I just don't think it's the point of the story. The point is that he's able to forgive sins and he's able to heal our problems. And so he says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home. Glorifying God and amazement sees them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. I think about that. They're seized with amazement. Um, and I like, are we seized with amazement? I wonder what seized them. You know, were they amazed and glorifying God because Jesus had forgiven the man's sins, or were they amazed and glorifying God because the guy was walking? And honestly, but I imagine that they were more amazed that the guy was walking than that that um, Jesus had forgiven his sins, and I think I think that's just the nature of things, and it's easy for us to get into that too. I can think back over the years of our church and and just people that have experienced um, healing. I think we've had a few physical healings, but like more relational, emotional, just life. Healings like marriages healed, addictions um, healed, emotional problems healed, people recovering from abuse situations and traumas and healing. And I wish we were better at telling those stories. They most often happen over like long periods of time. And and the most extraordinary thing, and the thing that we should be the most amazed. About maybe I am because I'm closest to it, is people that at one point have surrendered their lives completely to Christ and become a Christian, believing that Jesus is who the Bible says that he was, and surrendering themselves to him. And then over time, like after they've solved that core problem, then all these little problems that are out here eventually like work themselves out because we've, we start surrendering different parts of our life to him. Those are the those are the things that we ought to be completely amazed with more than we are. I mean, we should be seized with amazement. And I think just what's going on in our culture, we will have more and more opportunity for that to happen as people cling to who Christ is. If you are here, if you are tuning in, if you've been checking this out for a while, and you have not, you've never gotten to that point where you have, you have surrendered your life to Christ, you have confessed um, in your with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead um that's my invitation to you like I'd implore you to do that and to get to the core of the problem and surrender to him and allow him accept what he's done for you to forgive you from your sins and and um commit your life to him as a disciple of Jesus those other things are going to get worked out but this is where you need to you need to be. And once you do that um, to get baptized, and if you've done that and haven't been baptized, then you need to be baptized. We get so used to the symbols of communion and baptism, but they are radical symbols. I mean, baptism is a symbol of, I have died with Christ and I've been raised to new life. Again, the problem isn't that he, needed, he was paralyzed and needed to go for a walk. He was spiritually dead and he needed new life. And that's the picture of baptism and why it calls us to get baptized. And so if Christ has done that for you, Get baptized as a way of confessing um, that Jesus is Lord. The message of this passage for us, for most of us, is really simple. You know, love your friends enough to know what their problems are. And love your friends and Jesus enough to say to them, to open your mouth and say, Jesus can help you with that. Like if you will go to Jesus, he can help you with that. I know he can help you with that. And to have the confidence and the desperation to bring our friends before Jesus. And so I'd ask you, who in your life has problems only Jesus can fix? And what are you doing to bring them before Jesus? Uh, Part of the line in that passage says, and when he saw their faith. He saw their faith because they ripped the roof off the house to get the guy to Jesus. Like, if that line was said, when they saw Jeff's faith about his friend, what does Jesus see? Like, what are we doing to bring our friends before Jesus? And we talk about this, and actually I've tried to talk about this in the same way over several years now, that that starts with prayer. Um, the first way that goes is bringing our people before the Lord in prayer. Um, I was listening to uh, the J.D. Greer from The Summit talk about this passage. When I prep, here's what I'll do. I'll read the Bible a bunch of times. I'll go to commentaries. I'll kind of get an idea of how God wants me to formulate a message. And then one of the last things I'll do is I'll listen to a few messages because I know I'll get a few good illustrations. And he had a great one. So um, he's, and this is out of a book called Fresh, I think it's Fresh Fire, Fresh Faith by Jim Cimbala. Anybody know who that is? Uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle or it's this church up in um, Manhattan that just had a, a revival and a, you know, a move of the Holy Spirit. And they had these Tuesday evening prayer meetings and the pastors um, daughter uh who i think was a young adult had had walked away from the faith but the church didn't really know about that but one lady in the prayer meeting stopped the prayer meeting and said pastor i think we're supposed to pray for your daughter not really knowing what that meant and he's like okay so he just laid out where she was in like running away from the lord um to the point they kind of stunned the church and so they just they just lifted up there and i get the picture that this is hundreds of people in prayer for his daughter two days later his daughter calls him and says who was praying for me on tuesday night like she knew and she says because god came to me and showed me that i was like hanging over an abyss and needed rescue and her life turned in that moment like we don't we don't often maybe get windows we live in the natural And we have to do that, windows into the supernatural that's all around us. But that's where it starts, is we have to bring our friends before the Lord in prayer and ask him to intercede on their behalf and do something for them. Are you doing that? That's why we're doing 31 days of prayer. That's why we need more prayer, is just to bring our church, our city, our communities before the Lord in prayer. And then these things that I've talked about for years, gospel demonstration, gospel conversation, gospel explanation, and gospel invitation. Gospel demonstration is just living a life where you are turning over different parts of your life to the Lord and, and getting, living in, um, in sync with what the gospel says is true about your life. Because when you do that, then God starts to change your life and you start to become a different person. And people are gonna notice that one way or the other. And then gospel conversation is just, when you're friends with people, Um, and when you're good friends, then you talk about things that matter in life, and when you're demonstrating the gospel in your life, then the things in your life that matter have been shaped by the gospel, and you talk to your friends, and you can't help but talk about the gospel. It's just the most natural thing in the world, and you'll get a chance to go to gospel explanation where you talk about who Jesus is and why the life, death, and resurrection is the hinge of history and the most important thing that's ever happened, and you invite people into that and say, you should check that out for yourself. Whether that means reading the Bible Um, whether that means praying with somebody, whether it means inviting somebody to, um, you know, one of the great things about being online is um, you have the opportunity, if you have like friends or neighbors or something like that that haven't been to church for a long time, invite them over for breakfast on a Sunday morning, uh, cooking breakfast. Watch church, and then you can press pause and talk about the silly things the Pastor says. You know what I mean? Like you can make fun of us, you can do whatever you want to, but you can have a conversation with people about what it's like. You can ease people into it and, and invite them to be a part, to experience um, the community of the church, which is the body of Christ. And I say this all the time. The best advertisement for the church is the church. Um, bring them before Jesus. And I'll make one last observation about this. There were four guys that brought their friend to Jesus. It wasn't one guy, it was four guys and it takes the body of christ it takes all of us it's not a solo mission uh and so and so church sunday mornings is not like the answer isn't always invite someone to church but 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 a sunday morning can be a powerful experience for people and it's such an opportunity because church is such a scary place for so many people um you guys aren't a scary group most of the time but like, church, you say church to a 100 different people, and a 100 different things come to their mind, and you have no idea what it is. And so the opportunity on a Sunday morning is huge. And I've said this a number of times over the years. When you see someone new on a Sunday or at a church event, like, I think... Our default is to assume, oh, they've probably been there for a while, and we should have met them, but we haven't met them because we've been a little bit more sporadic than we should have. We all had that one time where we met somebody new and asked them if they were new, and they're like, no, I've been here for six months. And, like, we never want to ask anybody if they're new again, and you just need to get over that. Or you assume they know someone else, or you assume they don't want to talk, about, talk to people. You need to assume that they're new to Jesus, new to church, super uncomfortable, because the default assumption anytime you walk into church is everybody knows everybody except for me, especially a smaller church. Um, and, and assume that their grandma has been praying for them for 30 years, and this is the day that they engage the body of Christ, and we have a chance to be a part of it. That should be your assumption when you see somebody new at church. Assume that God is doing something in their hearts to draw them to him. That they have well-formed opinions about all this stuff, because everybody has an opinion about Jesus. That they have questions, that God has been speaking to them, and that you have a chance to be a part of what God is doing. And that only works like when the thing is healthy. And we are moving back to a place of health, right? The church needs your involvement in order to be healthy because we're the body of Christ. And and every part of the body needs to be involved in that. And you need to be involved in the life of your church in order for you to be spiritually healthy. So my challenge to you at the beginning of this year is these three words, engage, belong, and advance. And it's re-engage for a lot of you but like engage the church, engage in the activity of the church, engage in the corporate worship of the church. And so um, I use this this line a couple times in the fall, I've asked you to consider whether you've not re-engaged yet out of genuine concern. And that's hard to say on this Sunday because COVID numbers have spiked. But if you look at the graphs in South Africa, they spiked up and they spiked right back down and they're doing that in Britain. And I think they're gonna, I think within a few weeks, um, and I haven't been this optimistic since the whole thing started we're going to see numbers absolutely plummet so i understand everybody's concern this morning and again we've met with some trepidation but just knowing you can come if you want to and and i totally get that but have you not re-engaged out of concern or have you not re-engaged out of convenience that you got out of the habit and you need to get back into the habit and that what i would probably challenge you is you set a goal for how many sundays you're going to be here every month um now, if I'm honest, I think if you're in town, you should be here on Sunday. You just should. I understand stuff happens, but that should be your goal. But maybe you just need to set a goal of what it's going to be because Sunday mornings um, matter. And the, the analogy that I started using last fall that I really like is about family dinner. And so when our kids were little and it was, um, you know, very possible to do this i was a bit of a nazi about making sure we were all around the table like five nights a week to have dinner and so that would mostly be nothing but eating dinner and then if everybody was there we would pray for a minute after dinner there's no magic to that but every sociological study will tell you that your kids do better if you get them around the table for dinner on a regular basis i think church is the same way like, this is us around the table having a meal together. And the things that happen on Sunday mornings, like micro expressions of love and encouragement and concern that happen on Sunday mornings, really, really matter. And so, thank you guys for being here and reengaging, but in engage commit to engage and then belong and so engaging is one thing but belonging and being known making sure there's a few people that know what's going on in your life and you can just ask yourself right now does anybody know what's really going on in my life like are there a few people that i could confide to our definition of home groups is a home group is a group of people committed to each other's spiritual growth it's a group of people committed to each other's spiritual growth. That's really what a church is, and a home group is a microcosm of that, and it's a way to give you an opportunity to belong um, and, on a, and to put it into your routine um, to be with a group of people on a regular basis because over time that commitment is going to end up with belonging and relationship and people knowing what's going on with your life. Home groups isn't the only way that it can happen. For our church and our time and our place, it's the best way that it can happen, but it can also happen if you just serve on a regular basis with a team of people um, you're going to you're going to end up with a sense of uh, belonging and um, and so you'll be known and you'll know people and you can be committed to each other's spiritual growth and with, with men's and women's ministries that can happen too and then advance and are you a part of something that is advancing the work of God's kingdom um, in 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 our world in our church and so is there an area where you are serving? Like I said, the thing is that it's the body. It's the body of Christ, and so all the pieces need to play their part in order for it to be healthy. And right now, we need you to play your part, you know? Do you have musical talent that you have been holding out on us for a long time? Uh, and there are some people that have musical talent that they've been holding out, and you're going to see them in the next few weeks and months, you know? Um, and just felt like there hasn't been a place, but there's a place, and we need that right now. Um, we need a robust... Um, team to greet people on sunday mornings and that is an it is an easy thing to do it fits into the routine there's nothing more important there's, there's nothing there are things as important there's nothing more important than the team of people that on a sunday morning are in charge of making sure that this is a place where if someone's grandma's been praying for them for 30 years and they show up like we do a good job with what god is doing and play our part well uh, we need folks to love and lead our kids and our students. We need tech folks. One of the best things that's happened during COVID is that two of our most faithful, faithful tech volunteers are Aiden Floyd and Luke Byers. And I don't even know if they're teenagers yet. Like they're young men um, that have engaged and are geeking out and serving with camera and the tech stuff. And that's awesome, you know, and the opportunity that's that. And, and we need that. We We can't have you sitting on the sideline. We need you in this thing. And together... We become the four that are bringing folks before Jesus because we can't do it alone. So let's finish with this, and and um, Julian West can come back up, and uh, we're gonna take communion here. But who is it? Who is it that God has put in your path? And not everybody, but one, two, three people that He's put in your path that you just know, you sense, like they need to be before Jesus. And how desperate are you? For that to happen what does god want you to do to make that happen and um and then are we together uh, playing our part to be a place where where god can do that